so great to be here. It's so, I'm just looking out at some beautiful stories, beautiful stories. I'm looking at the Snyders with this gorgeous God-delivered baby in the back. If you don't know the Snyders, wave at us, please. Hug on them. God has taken them on such a magnificent journey. They have a newborn baby. I'm looking at the Lintzes who stepped into the absolute vortex of ministry this week with Safe Families. You guys took two, two kids, two out of three. We had a family, a homeless mom who needed three kids placed immediately. Allison started moving, the Burpos who are coaching the situation. Such an amazing church. You don't know how good it is to be back. I've been away for a week um, under really bad, hard circumstances. I'll tell you a little bit about that. But let me just say, my name is Jason. If you're hoping that, to hear from Jen, I'm not Jen. Um, I can tell you're not here to hear from Jen because if you were here to hear from Jen, there'd be 300 extra of you. And uh, we learned how not to personalize that. And I guess Brandon is hunting. Like, maybe God put that buck here for a reason, but Brandon has other designs, and so he's helping that buck go to buck heaven. I don't know how that works. But anyway, so my name is Jason. Um, I don't know how this is going to go today. Okay, I want to warn you. A little, little forewarning. I'm a routine guy. Everything is about routines. And I've had absolutely the sum total of zero of my routine this week. None. Absolutely none. Um, so I don't, can't vouch for how, where we're going to end up. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if I'm the only one who feels the gratitude to be here today, but I feel it as richly as I've ever felt it. Because I've spent the last week at the bedside of my father who's dying. He's dying fast. Um, I got a call about a week ago that he was on the couch, totally catatonic, right? So like non-responsive. And my baby brother, who I have never known in my life until now, my half-brother, and my baby sister, who I've never known until this week, had to kick the door down and haul him out in uh, an ambulance to the, to the hospital. It turns out he's got very aggressive lung cancer. It's in stage four. It's metastasized. It's in his brain. So we know the end is coming fast. Um, it, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that it's lung cancer given the life he's lived, but death is never soft. And it always comes hard, and, and it's ugly, and, and, and we're dealing with the, the interesting, yeah, how are we going to do this? Um, the, 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 let me just say it this way. I'm, I'm going to say this for you, Bonner, because you'll appreciate this. My dad's single possession on earth that he treasured was his 1967 Bonneville Triumph. It was his baby. Through five marriages and living in probably three continents, through all these years, he's kept one thing, and it's that motorcycle. And that, that to him was the most valuable thing on earth. It's gone. It's been stolen. We don't know where it is. But the triumph of his life is that his four children from different moms came together at his bedside, overcoming every reason in the world not to do this. And we gathered at his bedside because you sent your father off. That's what you do. And we all have reasons to, to just simply not have the time. Because that would be repaying like for like, because that was our life. Um, but that's not what you do. So the triumph of his life is, is very much real, and we all get it. The struggle with that 67 was who was going to get that thing. And he promised it to me for 40 years. But, um, so I knew it was mine. But uh, it's been such an interesting and emotionally difficult week. Because in the, in the horrible chapter of watching your father die, something beautiful has emerged. And it's, I found these kids. They're so much like me, it's creepy. And, and they're 32 and 34, and I've missed out on 32 and 34 years of their life, but we're not going to let that happen anymore. So God is good. Here's what I can tell you. There's a grace for these things. There's a specific grace for extending heartfelt and undeserved forgiveness, because all forgiveness is undeserved. Let's just face it. 
There's a, there's a grace for extending heartfelt and undeserved forgiveness when hours are numbered. There's a holiness to numbered hours, right? There's such thing as a primal apology that just expresses itself in sheer presence just by showing up. You don't have to even put words to it. Closing the gap and getting to his bedside meant everything in the world to him. He didn't need to say anything to release himself. We didn't need to say anything to cover the years. It's just, there's just something about it. There's grace for that. There's grace to formulate words for those of us who don't come by them honestly. That's not me so much as just my brother. He just doesn't come by words honestly. And you, if you could have seen him this week, it's been incredible. There's a grace for letting loved ones pass even when so much is left undone. There's a grace for that. It's not the kind of thing I prepared for, right? This is not like a life insurance policy that you pay in so that you can get it when you need it. It's just there. It's just there. It's a little bit like Canadian healthcare, right? (laughs) For all of us envious Americans who, it's just there because it's there. And I felt that so strongly this week. I waltz into town and I'm instantly the big brother and they look at me as the big brother because I have lived a different life than they've lived. My life has not been impacted by the brokenness of generations of addiction and all of those things. Somehow my mom found a way to get up and get out and change the trajectory of our life. So I roll into town and I'm all automatically the big brother. And they look to me for the answers and I got nothing. And I think, my God, I'm a preacher. I got nothing. I got nothing to say. But there's a grace that you can reach back and grab. It's just there, but it has to be found. Okay, here's what I'm learning. And I might add, it's not found by effort so much as by release, by falling, by letting go. That's when you find the grace for these things. This grace I'm describing is a little bit like hope. And hope is a subject for today because today we're, we're kicking off a, a, a four-part reflection on Advent. We're not the most liturgical people in Austin, but we're going we're gonna to grab Advent and take it for all it's worth. We're taking a break from Matthew, and for some of you in your entire adult lives, um, I shouldn't say that. Some of your, your kids who are now at Hayes High School uh, were born while we were somewhere in Matthew 3. No, that's a joke. The more Brandon says, don't joke about that, he just knows what he's going to get. That's, that's fighting words, isn't it, Trey? If he says, hey, don't, we're on it. We're right on it. So what, what I want to reflect on with us this morning is that it seems that sometimes we think that these dividends are available in life because we invest in them as if it's an insurance policy or something that we... But let me just tell you, there is grace for, for passing. There is grace for situations like this that just it's just there you don't have to create it or make it happen. It's just there. So let's talk about Advent briefly. We're going to move into talking about hope. What is, what is Advent? Somebody, somebody help me out. Other than a pair of loudspeakers that you probably grew up with if your mom had a nice stereo like my mom did. What's Advent? Anybody? Waiting. Okay. Anyone else? Back there? Yes, sir? Say, I didn't hear it. The coming, it's, it's, so it's waiting specifically the coming of Jesus. That's right. Thank you. Has anybody ever experienced Advent in your spiritual journey in your life? Maybe you've sojourned through other churches of different stripes than ours, and, and this would have been a big thing, maybe. Yeah? Any Catholics? Any Episcopals? Yeah. Any high church Presbyterians or Lutherans? Yeah, you would have known what this is. Basically, as I've come to know it, and I've come to love it, Advent is a gift. It's the gift of real time. Because we know the story that Jesus will be born, right? And we focus on the manger, and we look at it reversed through history as this great point of victory. But what Advent is, is the gift of getting back into that and saying, we're going we're gonna to walk through this one day at a time, 
And we're just going to remember briefly what it means if Jesus isn't born. How dark that darkness is. How desperate that desperation actually is. So it's the gift of real time. And it's an observance of, 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 of preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus, for the birth of the Christ child. It's a season to accentuate the longing and the anticipation that precedes the birth of the Savior on Christmas morning. Like 40 days of Lent, which would be maybe the other complement in the church here to Advent would be Lent that builds up to Easter. That's 40 days. But Lent is, or I'm sorry, uh, Advent is four services or four Sundays. It encourages us to slow down the season and avoid, think about this, haphazardly falling into an empty tomb on Easter. Just, oh, gosh, got to buy a pink tie because it's Easter. Or sort of haphazardly bumping into a manger with the, with the Savior born among us. It's giving us a chance to prepare ourselves, right? The busyness of our lives make the great seasons of longing and anticipation such rich treasures, and they will, if we let them shape our souls, as we constantly and continuously try to figure out what in the heck have we decided to do with our lives by following this Jesus. Whoever told us this is a one-time decision was, was obviously selling something, because this is an awareness that I don't care how many years you've journeyed with the master. This is an awareness that has to constantly find new ground in your heart, lest it become something routine and just something we do. That's the gift of Advent and Lent. We are grappling with our decision to follow Jesus. It is not a one-time deal where we say, it's all done, I'm in, all in, no sweat. Yeah, and then the next layer comes, right? And then the next layer comes. So there's a few different approaches to Advent. And the one we're going to take, walk together, basically has us accentuating four themes, right? It's hope, it's peace, it's joy, and it's love. And so this Sunday is going to be hope. Next Sunday will be peace. The following Sunday will be joy. And then Christmas Eve, Eve. So be looking for that. We're going to gather as a church here and do a very in-home, very family potluck. And we're going to focus on love and the birth of the child. And the hatmakers are going to lead us in that. So prepare for that. That's the 23rd in the afternoon. But it's a journey to a grotto, to a, to, to a small cave, to a small stable, where the Christ child is born to a Jewish, unwed, homeless, teenage mother, surrounded by common beasts of burden, the ultimate paradox of power. Okay, so think of these, three, these four services building up to Christmas as descending staircase into the hopeless darkness that would be our only reality were it not for the fact that Christ took us into consideration, was born among us. Today we're going to hear from a great all-star cast. We're going to hear from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from Sarah Bessie, from William Wordsworth, from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, star-studded choir today. You know me. You know I have a hard time focusing on anything anyway, right? Focusing is difficult for me. Can you imagine this week how I've had to focus on this word? It's not been on my heart. I'm just going to be honest with you. Death has been on my heart. Dying and dignity and, and figuring out how to figure out the knot of Social Security and the VA and all of these things that he gave us zero help with. So it's not been on my heart. And so what does any wise guy do, any smart man do when he's looking for inspiration? Well, you hop over to shelovesmagazine.com and you read what Sarah Bessie's writing. Just telling you, it's a good, it's a good tip, guys. I know everyone in the John Wayne Club is going to love this. Just play this card when you're out of words because Sarah Bessie has them. I'm just saying. Now listen, she's writing from Canada, so you're going to hear a lot of stuff about flame and heat. And I'm a little more on the side of Ray Benson who sang last night at Green Hall, Sleep at the Wheel. He says, you know, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow somewhere else. So this whole focus on flame and, and uh, heat stuff misses us. But, but 
But hear these words, and I can't possibly improve on them, so let me just read them to you. She writes, Advent has begun. Many of us are already preparing our homes and families to observe this season of the church calendar. But how could we possibly celebrate Advent if we're paying attention to this world? Think about the news the last couple of weeks. How do we make merry when our hearts are broken by Paris, by Syria, by Kenya, by Beirut, by Waco, by Japan, by San Bernardino, by Burundi? When in response to every crisis, our communities seem splintered and divided in how to respond and careless words are flung like rocks at our own glass houses. When closer to home, perhaps we only feel lonely, bored, tired, sick, and broke. How can we celebrate Advent? In these days, celebration can seem callous and uncaring, if not outright impossible. But here's the thing about Advent. We celebrate precisely because we're paying attention. It's precisely because everything hurts that we prepare for Advent now. We don't get to have hope without grief. You can imagine that's where I was gripped, sitting in an airport in Washington, D.C. I heard those words. I thought, oh, my God, she's, she's talking to me. Hope dares to admit that not everything is as it should be. And so if we want to be hopeful, first we have to grieve. First we have to see that something is broken and there is a reason for why we need hope to begin with. Advent matters because it's our way of keeping our eyes and our hearts and our arms all wide open. The weary world is still waiting in so many ways, in so many hearts, in so many places for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come. Can you feel that? Can you feel that longing, those empty arms longing to hold the answer? So here is what we listen for and what we mark and why we wait and light candles and read scripture in preparation for these things over long winter nights, whatever, that's Canada. It's real. The love, the peace, the joy, the hope is possible and it's real and it's among us already. God is with us, Sarah writes. The prophet Isaiah called out in the wilderness, energize the limp limbs, strengthen the rubbery knees, tell fearful souls, courage, take heart. God is here. He's right here on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He's on his way. He will save you. Advent is the church's way of observing and remembering, of marking the truth that we believe that God came to be with us once and God is still with us and God is coming again to set all things right. It's holding the truth of what is right now up to the truth of what, what was and what will be and then responding like Mary saying to Elizabeth, her cousin in her Magnificat, blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. Hang with me, we're almost done. It is declaring that we believe it still that God is redeeming all that is broken in us and curing all that is sick in us and bringing all that is dead in us to life. It's because of the heart of the story that we can light candles in the pressing and cold darkness, blazing up warmth and light for peace and for hope and joy and for love. Every word of God, the word of God himself, Jesus Christ, is true and is coming. And Advent reminds us that God seeks us out where we are right now. Catch this. Not where we should be by our own or anyone else's estimation but he seeks us out where we are right now. God seeks us out when we are in exile and when we are suffering, when we are callous and cowardly, when we are more concerned with common sense than faithfulness, when we are fearful and arrogant, when we are lost and broken, when we feel forgotten and bored and insignificant and tired and when we are wounded and when we are the ones who are wounding, God seeks us out. Oh yes, 
in these days, God is seeking us out on that path and in that wilderness. And the voice of the prophets of Advent cry out in that very place, courage, take heart. God is here. He is right here. Emmanuel, God with us, incarnate and alive now, prepare your hearts and fear not. The great Sarah Bessie on Advent. Jesus will indeed bring hope. These are my words, just so you know. I like to read because if I don't, I get distracted by people that I love and I lose my track. So I try not to look at some of you. That's not true. It actually is true. (laughs) Jesus will indeed bring hope, peace, joy, and love. If we're willing, now here's the catch, to embrace the road of humility and the way of decrease. Advent allows us the time needed to answer this question in real time, again, for ourselves. Can we fully embrace this God-human baby king who promises to set us free if we trust and imitate his ways? Can we still follow this one? For us, Christmas is victory. It's commercialism. It's the spending of multiple trillions of dollars with which we could solve the world's need for clean water with one Christmas expenditure. Did you know that? For us, it's this huge moment. It's Hobby Lobby. It's Chick-fil-A. It's all this stuff. You know, it would suck to be an atheist in Texas during Christmas, wouldn't it? Because for us, it's this big thing. It's our big day, and it's actually a journey into despair because if he does not put on skin, we are so lost. We are so broken beyond repair. This is an open question of Advent. This is worth sitting with for us. Can we follow this one? Not the one we hoped he would be. Can we follow this one? Because he's going to take us to brokenness like nobody can imagine. A friend of mine put these words online. She says, I didn't grow up with Advent except for one Christmas when mom made a wreath. Sounds like many of our upbringings, right? I would half listen to dad as he read from the book of Isaiah or Matthew, mesmerized by the cadence of his voice or the flickering flames. Then for years, I forgot about Advent. I'd speed up through December from one Christmas party to the next, from one overpacked mall to another. Despite the glittering lights and glasses of eggnog, Christmas left me drained. Anybody feel that? We're already drained and we're barely started. That's when I began to appreciate the gift of Advent. Advent invites us to reflect rather than rush our way through the Christmas season. But more than that, Advent helps us grasp our place in God's story. And here's the key. To sense in our gut the divine timeline on which we live. During Advent, we reach back to the perfect world gone wrong and the God who descended into chaos. With the other hand, we reach forward to a king who's returning to set everything right. And it's those two things. It's reaching back and reaching forward. Perfect imagery for Advent. Helps us slow things down and savor the time and the space between that initial coming of weakness but magnificent power and the time in history when he will come back and consummate all things and no one will argue whether he's Lord. How do we possibly ready ourselves for this birth of the God child who's both us and God? How do we prepare ourselves for this? I think it's safe to say that the greatest revelation that Jesus brings to earth is not about God so much as it's about how to truly be human. He showed us how to be human. Of course, he reveals us what God thought and God's response to sin and all of those things, but he speaks about what it means to be really real, to be really human, because we can touch that and we can be that. Accepting the humanity of God will be a different journey for all of us. I said that right. That's not a misstatement. 
Accepting the humanity of God will be difficult and different for all of us. But for starters, it will mean accepting meekness in place of the kind of power that we crave, the kind of freedom that we crave. It'll mean embracing humility and simplicity as not just the higher way, but the only way. That's where it's going to take us. If Advent had a sound, it would be the groaning churning of your gut when you're hungry. It would be that longing anticipation for something that's not here yet, but you can taste it before it gets here. Let's read the scripture that comes to us from the lectionary for today in Jeremiah 33. And I did not get it to I'm very sorry. Um, just, it's not a long passage. Jeremiah 33 verse 14 reads this way. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the day, I'm sorry, the Lord, our righteous savior. The words of Jeremiah. A couple of things catch me from that passage. Number one, the image of a sprout. It would be a sprout from the line of David, literally a bud, a tiny plant beginning to grow. Somehow the urgent answer needs to the suffering of the world is a sprout. It's a simple thing. It's a humble beginning. How disappointing when it could have been something else. So the image of the sprout catches me. The second thing is that this is not actually an answer. This is just the announcement that an answer is coming. And don't you hate those answers? Don't you hate when you get the call and the call is, we've got to wait again until tomorrow. We've got to wait till next month. Or we'll see in six months, right? A time of safety and salvation will come, but it's not going to be for a while. And there are more than a few ways to wait. I know you guys are good waiters. I'm horrible at waiting. I can't stand, I self-destruct. Anybody else with me? I had to go to the DMV this office because my head was so gone during this trip. I lost my license. Had to sit in line. You know, you, you know how you wait, right? You do the same thing I do, I'm guessing. Today, we can boldly claim, as all faithful have throughout the ages, that our answer is coming. Our answer is coming. God has heard our cry. He knows just how we hurt and how we yearn for deliverance. And the answer is on the way. But it's going to take hope to hold us together, right? While we wait for this sprout to grow into something worth noticing. It's going to take hope to bridge the gap. Diedrich Bonhoeffer from prison wrote in 1943, celebrating Advent means being able to wait. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. Can you imagine in the 40s how much more true that is today? It's an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it is hardly finished planting the shoot. Whoever does not know the austere blessedness of waiting, that is the hopefully doing without, will never experience the full blessing of fulfillment. For the greatest, most profound, most tender things in all the world, we must wait. It happens not here in the storm, but according to the divine laws of sprouting, growing, and becoming. Nobody's earned the right to say that more than Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who paid in a prison cell and ultimately with his life for putting action to his faith. What holds us together in the waiting is hope. But what is hope made of? I need to know what is hope made of. I'm not interested anymore in spiritual platitudes and ideas that never make it from here anywhere else. What is it made of? It's not a feeling. It can't be a feeling. It's got to be deeper. 
It's there for us to discover, and it's more co- concrete, as I have discovered this week, than I ever imagined. But it's not what I'm expecting. It's not the words, it's not control, it's not power, it's not the ability to stand above. It's something opposite. It's the releasing, the letting go, the falling, the letting God lead, the letting God make beauty of ashes. It's never what I'm expecting, it never has been. You see, hope for us is in a person, and that person moves so slowly. I wish I could give you better news. How slow? Listen to this. We hope in a person, and he moves so slow, slow enough that our answers often come only moments after we become just like him through the waiting, and that's the point, and I wish it wasn't, but that's the point. The waiting makes us into the people that he knows we can be, and in that hopeful waiting for that thing that we do not see yet, we become just like him moments before our answer comes to us. Our hope is in a person, or perhaps more profoundly still, our hope is a person. The psalmist writes in several places, and I won't cite them just, because of, just for the sake of time. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long, wrote David. Later he writes, may integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Be strong and take heart in a different passage. All you who hope in the Lord. Later in chapter 33, he writes, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope, whose hope is in his unfailing love. Later in that same chapter, it writes, we, we wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and he is our shield. Our hope is a person, you see. The waiting and the hoping literally shape us. They literally make us into the people that we are waiting to become in ways that nothing else ever will. No degree in theology. No serving the poor. No adopting a child. None of that great spiritual stuff that we just so highly esteem. It's not going to school us like the waiting will. The hopeful waiting. The longing, the yearning, the long dark night spent pacing, the praying, the interceding, the beating the heavens with white fists because we can't understand why our answer has not come. That's what shapes us. What seemed so urgent only a moment ago falls back into perspective when we fall into the hands of grace and just let time be what time is. There's nothing glorious about a tiny sprout. I brought a little illustration. You guys have these growing in your weed in your gardens too. There's nothing glorious about this. What a chumpy answer to my need. What a ridiculous response to my need. Oh, but if you know how to look at this, what is this? This is an oak tree. This could literally shade the entire house I live in it with time. It was growing in a pot right in the front. I pulled it out. What a simple answer. But here's what I have to tell us this morning. This is our only answer. This is how God moves. There's nothing glorious in this unless you know what you're looking at, Right? The answer we're looking for is not going to come to us by some quick shock and awe campaign. And I just think it's so poetic to quote Dick Cheney all the time up here. It's not going to happen by some big shock and awe campaign. You know, you can't say that in Houston, but you can in Austin. Just saying. This is going to sprout slowly and come, but it's going to grow strong and it's going to grow true and it's going to grow straight. What a disappointing beginning, but oh, what a magnificent ending. Oh, what a glorious ending. 
Hope is a knowing. It's a certainty. It's concrete. Hope is bolted down somewhere deep in the boiler room of our hearts. It's not moving. It's there. But hope starts small like a sprout. It's not that anyone would argue with the ultimate outcome. Let me just tell you, when Jesus comes back for all that's his, which is all that is, there will be no one to argue with his lordship. This is going to end magnificently. But the hang-up is the timing. The painfully slow onset of the effect of the answer of God. Who do you look for? Because if you're anything like me, and you're lost and you have no game plan, You need an example to follow. Who do you look for? When the only good word you get is that your answer's coming. It's coming. Yeah, but I need it. I know it's coming. It's coming. Who do you look for? I hope this doesn't offend you. Actually, if you know me well enough, I probably actually don't hope it doesn't offend you. I'm not that concerned if it offends you. But here's the deal. Let me tell you where I look. I look to Mary, the mother of Jesus. In all of human history... Nobody had a more challenging role to play in the drama of redemption than the Virgin Mary. No one. Imagine being told that you of all people would give birth to the promised one. But wait, I'm a teenager. Could have been her answer. Shouldn't this be handled by a professional? Perhaps the most profound and, at least in my opinion, the most poetic and most beautiful words ever uttered in human history was her response to the angel's scandalous invitation to have intercourse with God. Her response was, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. And then she had to wait. Nine long, painful, confusing, difficult, economically impossible, socially scandalous months to get a chance to raise this child who for 30 years no one would esteem as fulfillment to any promise, to any prophecy. William Wordsworth wrote of her in his great poem called The Virgin, these five words. Of Mary, he said, she is our tainted nature's solitary boast. The one thing we had to get right, the one thing we had to get right, we got it right in a, in a homeless, not probably in a homeless, but, but desperately poor teenage Jewish girl who responded in that one crackling moment that bent all of human history in its, in its, to its skew, she responded, I am your servant. Let this thing be unto me according to your word. So, what are we to do with ourselves? Our broken, longing, half-healed, half-heard, aching, yet hopeful selves. What are we to do with ourselves? Well, we've got to wake up and find a way to be present to this hope, don't we? And again, it's not earned. It's there. It'll catch you if you fall into it. It won't impact you if you try to conjure it or make it happen. But what do we do with this hope that lies within us? This tender shoot born among us that will one day set all things straight. What do we do? I guess that's for you to decide. But here's what I've been feeling this week, and and we're going to close right here. There's three things I need to do. This is the three things I always need to do. But especially during Advent, I got to get these three things right. Number one, I got to slow down. I got to slow down. I got to resist the cadence of Christmas and just push it back. 
it won't be that awful or that difficult for me this year because I'm probably, within a matter of days, going to have to head back to Beaufort, South Carolina to bury my father. So there won't be much picking up the pace this Christmas for me. But we have to slow down. We literally have to ask yourself, make it your mantra, why am I rushing? Just write that on your windshield with some lipstick right there. Why am I rushing? We have to slow down. Number two, we have to show up. Oh, God, it's so hard. It's so hard. We have to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What is really at risk if I just show up and be present? Most of us just don't. We've got to slow down. We've got to show up. We have to observe, number three. Here's my question. I want you to noodle this. What tender beginning has Jesus begun in you? What tender beginning has Jesus begun in you? Because it'll grow if you protect it. But it's not a tree yet. It's not your answer yet. But your answer's on the way. What is that, what is that thing? So why don't you stand to your feet? Band, why don't you join me?